All right, we're going to go to First uh, Timothy chapter two tonight, and I'm going to bounce around. So, if you want to keep your thumb there a little bit, I guess you can. And um, since this is prayer meeting, I every now and again like to put something together on prayer. Okay, uh, I think it's good to to focus and to refocus and to do that regularly uh, to make sure that we know what. Well, to hone our skills as as people of prayer and just to do it sometimes. And let's begin reading here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. Therefore I exalt, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And let's bow in a word of prayer. God, we are so thankful for, the, for your word and for giving it to us here. And we want to thank you, Lord, for just the, this passage here, really showing us the heart of the Apostle really, which is a reflection of the heart of Christ. And we pray tonight that we might have such a heart and help us, Lord, to instruct uh, each other, encourage one another to pray. And even tonight as we gather, and, and yes, we're just a small group, we realize that yet, Lord, there's many Christians around the world gathering tonight to pray and lifting up prayer requests and praying for lost loved ones and for various people groups and neighbors and so many lord that are lost and we know it's your will as you say here your desire that all men should be saved all people everywhere thank you for that lord and thank you that you've included us in that plan may we take that as a great responsibility and and we ask lord that you would bless in jesus name amen a few years ago i was in a church and i mentioned something in um passing I, I said something well it was, it was from the pulpit but i said about praying for the lost and i was met at the door of the church uh and this was about 20 years ago probably now uh, i was met at the door of the church and a guy said to me show me in the bible where it says to pray for the lost and i, I don't think he was trying to cause trouble but he was sincere about it he, he wanted to know where in the bible does it say that we should be praying for the lost and uh, and, and I'm thankful the Lord gave me a verse, and he gave me the verse from 1 Timothy right here in uh, chapter 2, where Paul begins by saying this, that therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all, all right? And just that that's all it says, all men, all people, okay? It's a generic word, by the way, for men. And I know we live in a gender-specific uh, world now and weird kind of strange things, and you can't say men all the time and all that, but the word is anthropos, and it means humanity, all right? Uh, and it's a good word, okay? And it means pray for everybody that's human, all right? And that's very simple, I think, as clear as it can be put. I showed that gentleman uh, that verse that night, and, and he shook his head in agreement anyways, and I think that he wasn't against praying for the lost. He was just wondering if there was such a verse and I think there are many verses, and I think as we look at this, uh, that question really is the, the big point tonight is why do we pray for the lost? And I, I believe there are a number of reasons, and the Bible is very clear on it. And first and foremost, 
I think it reveals to us the heart of God, okay? Because God himself desires that people everywhere be saved. And, I mean, that is probably the, the clearest indication of that. I mean, found right in the scriptures, you read of, uh, and I've got to find where I put it here. There we go. John three sixteen and 17, familiar verses, or at least John three sixteen is. Often we, we end there, but where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's that universal invitation. He goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You, you see the heartbeat of God right there in, that, in those verses that are explained. And of course, that's his purpose and his purpose did, Jesus did not come to the world to condemn the world, okay? People have the wrong view of uh, who Christ is, okay, and who God is. And many of them think, oh, you know, if you, uh, you Christians, you know, you hold to this view that God's out to get you all the time. Well, yes, your sin will get you, okay? But God has made a way out, and he has provided every way so that we be not condemned. And it's his desire that we be saved. It's that simple. And I, I like to, if someone has that kind of comment, I turn it right back on them. And I'll say, wait, wait, wait. God's done everything for you right now. And the only excuse is that you won't go and accept what he's given you as a gift uh, in, in that. Verses 3 and 4 there of uh, 1 Timothy 2, he says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. I love that phrase, God our Savior. And uh, again, uh, the, the focus is that uh, Jesus uh, is our Savior. That's a specific term to him. But it is, he, is, he is co-equal with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and the deity of Christ on display there, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And by the way, I could preach a whole message. I won't tonight, but a whole message just on that phrase, God our Savior, the triune God desiring that we be saved. Do you realize it? That it was the Father who gave the Son, right? And it is the Father's desire that we be saved. And the Son gave himself as a ransom for many, right? And those who will believe on him will be saved. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to Christ and opens their minds and their eyes. And he's the one that reproves of sin. All those things are part of his biblical uh, well, the, the revelation he's given to us, the biblical ministry of salvation. So you see the triune God. So when it says God, our Savior, absolutely right. Uh, the triune God who desires all men to be saved. Um, secondly, we should pray for the lost because of Christ's great sacrifice. I, I think that's extremely important. And when you think about... Um, and I threw in Second Peter three nine there. You know that one too. It, at the end of that verse says it's His will again that none should perish, right? Uh, but that all should come to repentance. But back there in Luke nineteen ten, and this is the verse that led my my wife to the Lord, and uh, I'm thankful for uh, this verse of Scripture. But even more so, the Savior who did give His life because He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That was Jesus's mission. His mission on this earth was uh, looking ahead to, you know, the cross and everything beyond that as well. But it was because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I'm thankful because some, you know, almost 2,000 years ago when Luke penned those words, uh, 
some years later, a little girl would be sitting by her uh, mom and having read that Bible verse together would ask Christ for forgiveness. And I would get a wife out of it. How about that? Isn't that great? I mean, there's so much more to salvation than just the promise of heaven, right? He has a plan for everybody. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 2 here at verses 5 and 6 says, For there is one God... And one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That verse right there, uh, when I was a new believer, that stood right out to me. Actually, I read that before I became a believer, actually. And I, I was wondering about how we should pray. And I was asking some of those questions. And I looked up the topic of prayer in somewhere in the back of a probably index of a Bible. And I remember coming across this verse. And I thought, there's only one mediator. I don't have to go to someone else. I don't have to go to a man. I don't have to go to a saint. I don't have to. I can go right to Christ. And uh, that was a, a relief for me. But it says, who gave himself a ransom for all. Now, that is a key word there. And I, when it says, or key phrase, a ransom for all. I truly believe that the death of Christ as the payment for sin is uh, good enough in itself that all could be saved. Now, will all be saved? No, they won't. And so uh, I, I don't believe it's limited only to the saved. It is limited in the appropriation of salvation only to the saved, but it's it could be beneficial to all. And when you come to verses like this, I think that that's clear. It's, you know, he, did, he gave his life a ransom for all. Uh, will all be saved? No, they won't because they don't accept the ransom. To be testified in due time. And uh, great verses of scripture there. Thirdly, there is the example, of course, of Paul and his uh, heart. And we went through a whole message of this in the book of Romans recently. Uh, where he also had a desire for his fellow countrymen, his fellow Hebrew people. And he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they be saved. They may be saved. And Paul was praying for the lost. And when he's saying, that's my heart's desire, uh, he, he wasn't just sitting there you know, meditating on that, but I believe he was active in that. I mean, why would he give Timothy instruction in, in 1 Timothy? Why would he uh, tell the Ephesians to pray for him that a door of utterance would be opened? Why would he do those things, right? If he wasn't praying, and he was a man of prayer. And then fourthly, <clears throat> Um, we pray because man is lost. I mean, that's the, the title of one message, right? But I mean, that's an understood. I, I come to that and I say, well, that's, that's a given. But that's not really a given for most. Actually, many Christians believe, and I say Christians, uh, but they, you know, they believe that, that man isn't lost uh, unless you come and tell him of the gospel. And then if he rejects, then he's lost because he's now he's rejected God's message. But I don't believe the scripture paints that picture of a person that we're, we're kind of under this sort of redemption plan when we don't hear. According to Romans chapter 10, according to um, uh, other, lots of other scriptures, including the gospel of John, uh, we're condemned ba based upon uh, the fact that we're born into Adam's race and original sin has tainted us. And then we're condemned based upon our sin as well, a practice of sin. And all those things condemn us. 
And John 3.18, we didn't read this verse, but it comes right after verses 16 and 17, very simply says this, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned, what? Already. That, that means the state of condemnation resides on him already. All right? And you say, well, how come is he, why is he condemned? Because he has not believed. He's still in his sin. And that's what it says here. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And there's a lot, again, that could be explained in that verse. That I I truly, and the Bible paints this uh, portrait of salvation. But you have to come to faith in Christ. And you have to know who he is. You can't just say his name. All right, that's, some might take that. Well, he hasn't said the name of Jesus. And he hasn't believed on the name. So then he must not be, you know... Uh, saved but it's more deeper than that it's the understanding of who christ is and why he came and it's an understanding of the gospel and that isn't always done in some 30 second conversation or a rote prayer that you get someone to pray it's uh, a matter of sometimes diligently teaching somebody with the hope and, and through prayer that they will have their eyes opened and they will see who christ is but there is a a dependence upon us being effective in that that's why missionaries learn languages that's why uh they they stop and sometimes hopefully anyways and look at the culture that they're in and things like that and learn from those things and then try to convey the gospel in a way that is understandable a way that will clearly show who christ is and you can't do that if you're speaking a language no one understands or um presenting christ and not laying down the foundation of why he came. That's why a lot of missionaries in the last, especially about the last 40 or 50 years, have gone back to, well, they've gone to a, an approach of the creation account all the way to the cross and, and then beyond into the epistles, but always starting in the Old Testament and laying down the foundational truths of uh, where did we come from and creation and, and a flood and the, the aspect of the origin of sin and God's method and uh, for trusting him uh, and his plan for salvation that was revealed way back in the book of Genesis all the way through. And then when you come to Christ, he's not the stranger, right? He's not, oh, this is just a new God. He's, he's, they, under, they make the connection or that's the hope anyways. I think it's always important. That might take years to get to that point. So for those of you that have uh, friends that you witness to or somebody you've written letters to in the past or had those deep conversations with them, continue to do that. All right? I encourage you. But we're condemned already. And that is a huge thing uh, that I believe that man is lost and that's why he needs salvation and that's why we as Christians should be praying for them. <clears throat> Well, how should we pray for the lost? And this is the second part of that. Like, why is, is kind of answered there, hopefully. But how? That's the practical. How do we pray for the lost? Well, the first one, and I have here, uh, is pray for, for workers, right? For Christians to speak to the lost. I have found that when I pray for the people in that situation, sometimes God calls me to be the one to speak, <laughs> Uh, sometimes though he'll send someone else sometimes 
He'll do things that only he can do. And, you know, we pray and ask the Lord to work and someone else, you know, maybe a different continent entirely, will end up going and talking to them and sharing the gospel with them in those times. But pray for workers. Jesus says this, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Right? Therefore, pray. Uh, by the way, go through the Gospels and highlight the prayer requests of Jesus. You won't find many, by the way. This one you'll find. Uh, you'll find him teaching to pray and how he prayed and his, his prayers, a few things. But as far as prayer requests, right here. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That was extremely important. And I mean, it's important because Jesus said it was important. Pray for workers. Secondly, pray for boldness. I don't know anybody that doesn't need more boldness in witnessing. I, I mean, there are certainly people that are bold, and they'll do and say and go in any, any, anywhere. But most are afraid. And I have yet to ever go out uh, witnessing either a formal way or even trying to start a conversation with that in mind without having some kind of fear in my heart of rejection, of messing it up you know oh how i might say something that's going to really you know just not make the connections there or those kind of things and i think we all need boldness particularly i think now in a world where it is more and more popular to bash christianity and christians and uh and i say my that's my world there's certainly places in the world that's far worse than than to just i say bashing uh with words there are people that are locked up in, in prison and killed for the sake of the gospel. And so when Paul was writing to the Ephesian believers and he says, and for me, that, that's the apostle, he says that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly. If Paul needed that prayer request and he needed people to be praying for him, th 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 I do. I think. <laughs> and if there's anything you can do to pray for your pastor, Pray. That I open my mouth boldly. All right? There's a lot of other things too you need to pray for, but I just say that. And then look what he says to make known the mystery of the gospel. See, the gospel is a mystery to most, it is a veiled thing. It is, they might know a word, you know, the gospel, or they might think what the gospel is. But a lot of times you ask somebody, and I'm amazed, even religious leaders don't really know what the gospel is. You ask, you know, somebody, uh, I remember listening to a priest one day and somebody asked him, what's the gospel? And he said, to love your neighbor. Hmm. Is that the gospel? That's the fruit of the gospel. That's not the gospel. And, and I, I don't disagree that we should love our neighbor. But listen, the gospel is not the fruit of the spirit at work but rather it is centered in the person of jesus christ and it is his death and particularly his his death his burial his resurrection right i mean that is the message of the gospel and those who believe in him will be forgiven of their sins and be saved and and that that's the the gospel okay that's good news uh, but i'm always amazed when you know somebody who should know what the gospel is doesn't and the reason they say things like that because they don't know the gospel. And I'm not saying all are like that, but that, that particular time I thought, wow. 
you know, that's, that's serious. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Paul writes, For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Again, that's where he found himself, you know, as he's writing here to the Ephesians in that. Pray for opportunities. That's the next thing. So pray for workers, pray for boldness, pray for opportunities. And sometimes I have to just ask the Lord for opportunities. Um, there's a guy that I have been praying for for quite a, a long time, actually. Uh, I say long time, not really compared to others that have prayed, but a couple of years now. And I've had some conversations with him. We've not really had a good opportunity to talk about the gospel, though. And I'm praying I get that opportunity. And it was kind of neat because uh, this morning he texted me at 6.30 this morning, which I was up. I was already up by an hour or so. And I, uh, and he, he's on the ham radio, and he says, what, what, you know, what frequency are you on this morning and all this? And I told him, like right here. And we got talking back and forth on the radio. And I thought, ah, Lord, yeah, brought him back into my life this week. I haven't talked to him there for a while. And, uh, and I said, okay, I'm going to look him up this week and see if I can talk more privately uh, on some things. But I just say that because we need to be praying, all right? We need to be praying uh, for each other and praying for the lost and praying for opportunities. And I broke down here, oh yeah, Colossians chapter 4. In verse 3, Paul says, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Sounds like a pattern there, right? In Ephesians and Colossians. and He, he had that same prayer request for the Colossian church. Pray for opportunities. Pray for clarity. In that same section, Colossians 4.3, he talks about the mystery there. But in verse 4, he says, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The word manifest, a fantastic word. It, it, I mean, it's not really, I can't even translate it any better into any synonyms. But to manifest something is to show it. And to show it in such a way that it's, it's visibly clear. Okay, And that's what he's using there in the Greek word. It means to open something up into the light. And to make it seen clearly. Like Al's lights tonight. You know, I dimmed him a little bit. And he has having a hard time reading, right? And that just says a lot about Al's eyes. But anyways, no. Uh, but I agree. It gets a little dim up here sometimes. And, but it's just like, whoosh, turn the light on. There it is, right? You can see. Well, the gospel's the same way. Sometimes we don't really go to that whole aspect of praying that somebody would be able to give the gospel to someone we love or even to our enemies or maybe a country that's closed like North Korea or someplace like that. You know, have you been praying for North Korea lately? I, I have been reminded that every time North Korea appears in the news, I will say a quick little prayer for them. You know, the little arrow prayers they call them. Just shoot a quick prayer up to heaven, right? Uh, and they're in the news all the time. So they should be getting lots of prayer requests and prayers. And I would love to see that country open up and a flood of missionaries go in from South Korea and just share the gospel with those that are there. 
But that's my, I'm sure God would like that too, but that, you know, that's my heart's desire. Uh, I think God's heart's in that as well. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. You ever think that a man like the dictator of North Korea could get saved? Do you know that his grandfather, I believe it was his grandfather, his great-grandfather, was a Christian, a nominal Christian. I don't know how, you know, but they, they, North Korea has a Christian past. When it embraced communism, it also went back to the worship of the Kim dynasty. And the two were very connected, very interesting. But there's a Christian past in North Korea. Hmm. You think the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord? You bet. Pray for the lost. Pray for lost leaders. Pray for people, right? Paul asks this. He prays that the lost might listen. Acts 26, verse 18 um, well, also that one right there, but he prays that, uh, there we go, got my wrong page out of order, that's why, for receptive hearts and that their spiritual eyes would be open, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And, and that's Christ and his declaration he gave Paul uh, and this is part of his testimony. And this is Paul's mandate from Christ. He says to go and to go to the Gentiles to open their eyes. How is that accomplished? It's accomplished through the Lord opening the eyes, but he wants us to pray. And that's the prayer request that's there, you know. John sixteen eight. And when he has come, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I think it's totally proper to pray and ask the Lord to convict people of sin and of righteousness. And that happens. I have shared with you, uh, I've seen it happen on more than one occasion, probably the one that stands out, and I've shared this before, I was in Halifax, Nova Scotia on a street corner with Kirk Kubik, an evangelist, and he was handing out the little coins that have the Ten Commandments on them and he uses it as a witnessing tool. And he hands it out. Here's a coin for you. Everybody loves a coin. And then they take it, and they, it's only aluminum, but, you know, hey, it's, you know, it's not worth much, but it's, it's a coin. And on it is stamped the whole Ten Commandments, okay, on one side. And that's little lettering. And he'll, when people figure that out, they stop. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute, what's this, you know? And he says, this is the Ten Commandments. And goes down through a few of those, and he asks them, have you ever broken any of these? And most people, if they're honest, will say, yeah. Can't get past the first one, right? And he was handing those out one day, and this guy came along, and he, uh, he was in a group of, with other, other uh, I don't know, they were in their 20s probably, and they're just kind of walking along outside the park. And he handed those coins, and a couple of them took them. And this one guy took it, and he looked at it, and he goes, Phew, threw it down, and he spit on it. And he walked off down the hill. And there was some MBBI students with me, and uh, I grabbed him. I said, let's pray for that group, and let's just pray for them. 
We prayed for him. Five minutes later, this guy came up the hill, head down like this, and his buddy's behind him. And he says, I, I should never have done that. He says, that was wrong of me. I should not have done that. Whew, the conviction of God had settled in on him. Never had to tell him that. Never had to do anything on it. And you know what? Kirk had about a 45-minute conversation with him. Sent him a book afterwards. The guy said he'd read it. And I'm just saying that we need to be praying God would give those kind of opportunities and settle those things. And you look and you see people that blaspheme God and you just say, Lord, just convict that guy. Convict him. You do it. Not me. Him. Let him do it. He does it better than I do it. Oh, boy. And then also released to trust Christ. I like Jesus uses this in Luke 4. He quotes from this passage of Scripture. Remember, he's reading in the synagogue. And this piece of prophecy is fulfilled that very day when Messiah is standing there reading the Bible. And he says, he quotes this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. That's the gospel. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And he's talking there about a spiritual condition, all right? The opening of the eyes, the uh, brokenhearted, those that are bound in prison. And certainly there's some literalness to that. Has God delivered people from prisons? You, you bet. But as he opened their hearts, yes, much more of that goes on. And I say that because we need to be praying that kind of prayer. Lord, please open the hearts of these brokenhearted people around us. Uh, I saw all, the, all the, the vehicles lined up there in St. David yesterday for a funeral, you know. Of a man that had a lot of impact in this community, you know. And, and saying goodbye. And I thought, I thought about that. I said, Lord, there's a lot of brokenhearted people today. What's that going to do? Would you reach them? You know? That's hard. <clears throat> and I love this. This is part of our prayer too. Don't Don't stop. <laughs> Do not stop praying for people once they get saved, all right? Remember, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I have to tell you that it would be wonderful if at the moment of salvation, all the sin was totally eradicated at that point out of the sinner's life. But that's not true. I don't know about you, but I found a greater struggle with my sin after I became a Christian because now I knew it was sin. And there were things, and there are still things that I struggle with. And I have to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, you've made me a new creation. But you know what I'm glad about? I have people out there that I know pray for me. And they pray regularly for me. And uh, they pray for a lot of people. But they're praying for me that I would walk according to what Christ has done in my life. That's a good thing. So do that. Pray for one another, right? To pray and do that. And keep in mind that God does not delight at all in even the death of, of one sinner anywhere. There are certainly people that have done a lot of evil and wickedness in our world. And when they pass off the scene, sometimes I feel like David and rejoice over the death of his enemies. 
but to keep in mind that God doesn't rejoice over the death of the wicked. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 23 says, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? You know what God would really want? The most evil person in the world, and I don't know who stands in that category today, but there's lots out there that certainly are in the running. You know what? He wants them to live. I was looking at my phone here just now, and the little text came up with the headline, 17 people die in Florida, and we said 16 at the beginning. 17 confirmed dead. There was a wicked man today, a young man who went and he shot a bunch of students at a school. And, and you say, oh, that's just, that's awful. But you know what the Lord wants for him and for everybody there? He wants him to turn from his wickedness and live. Pray for that man. Pray for his family. Pray for the victims' families. Pray for those involved. Because I do believe God does these, allows these things to happen that we would just stop and stop looking for a moment at our phones and look up, right? And that's, that's what we need sometimes. And uh, he doesn't welcome that by any means, but he can take the most evil of acts and he can bring good out of them if we'll let him. Don't give up. George Mueller. Of course, George Mueller, uh, he's known as a man of prayer. And we know much of his prayer life because he was a man that also kept a diary, a journal. And there's been several biographies written about George Mueller. And he's best known for his work there in Bristol, England during the 19th century with uh, starting orphanages. And he did so uh, starting you know, several orf- large orphanages, all right? And he did so never having gone to people and asking for finances. And every single need was always met. And he kept a prayer journal of how God answered prayers. And, and that's what's so exciting. You can't help but just rejoice when you read uh, the testimony of George Mueller. And I was, it was neat because my wife, I think she really likes George Mueller. And uh, I'm glad he's still not around. I think he'd run off with George Mueller. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Because uh, he's just a neat guy and she's read a lot of his biographies and she's always sharing about uh, Mr. Mueller. And, but one of the things he shared the other day with me is that um, even when he was in the orphanages, he always tried to make them a cheery place, a cheerful little place. And he would make sure the rooms were bright. And he always, if possible, would set, have the, the helpers there set flowers, fresh flowers on the tables so that the orphans would have something. Because he said, that's like God. See, God, when he does something, he does it well. And he, he was big on that. And he prayed those kind of things in, not only the daily needs, but the big things. But you know, there were, there were people that he prayed for, for salvation. And there were two people, two men, that he prayed for, for 55 years. Both had rejected Christ. Both were uh, very much uh, opposed to anything Christian. And he prayed for them. And he never gave up praying for them. Prayed for them every day. Someone asked him, don't you ever feel like giving up? And he said, oh no. Why would God give me such a burden for these men if he did not intend to save them? Wow. 
One man came to faith in Christ just before Mueller died. The other one came to faith in Christ just after he died. I think that's pretty cool. And I, I just share that tonight because, you know, uh, we don't just meet here Wednesday nights or whenever we meet. You know, it's not just Wednesday nights, hopefully, either, to just to pray and bring a few prayer requests before the Lord and all that. But we're, we're really battling for the souls of people. We're part of that plan. It's God's work. I don't want to make it all on us. But he delights in us uh, coming to him tonight and asking for his help. And we need it. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless it to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.